Let's get ready to study God's Word. Greetings to one and all. Welcome to another episode of Rightly Divide the Word of Truth. This is Andrew S. Baker, and it's time for another devotional study. Please be sure to visit our podcast page, biblestudy.asbzone.com, where you can find links to some Bible study resources, as well as all of our previous episodes. Before we begin, let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for the treasures contained therein. We ask for wisdom and understanding. Help us as we divide your truth rightly. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's study, It Repented the Lord. It Repented the Lord. We have a couple of passages for this study. Um, as mentioned, if you if you aren't familiar this year we're going to be doing, uh, we're going to be looking at passages that are strange and possibly contradictory, or at least appear so on the surface. And as always, from the King James Version. Genesis 6, 6 and 7. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air. For it repenteth me that I have made them. Okay, the Lord's saying it repented. So first Moses says it, and then the Lord, and then he quotes the Lord saying it. First Samuel 15, 28 and 29. And Samuel said unto him, this is Saul, The Lord hath rent the kingdom of Israel from thee this day, and hath given it to a neighbor of thine that is better than thou. And also... The strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Okay, so here we have a verse that says the Lord does not repent. And in fact, this is the second verse that says that because in Numbers, we have a quote from Balaam. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Okay, and uh, Samuel is is essentially quoting that. So here we have two verses that tell us that God does not lie or repent. And we have another verse that tells us that it repented the Lord. What does that mean? How should we understand it? There are two, when you look in the Old Testament, there are two words that are used for repent. Let me bring this up. There are two words. One is get my Hebrew pronunciation. One is nokam, which is the one that's being used here. shows up about 108 times. And it means to, to sigh, to breathe strongly, by implication to be sorry or to have pity. Okay, those are the major uh, definitions. And then there's the other word, which is shub, and it means to turn back, to turn away from. So that form of repentance is never associated with God. 
Um, this one is always associated with man turning from his sins. True repentance is to turn back, to turn away, to go, to leave, and to move away from. That shows up in the Old Testament, well, across the, the King James, uh, a thousand times in 58, 1,058 instances of this repentance turning away. The other repentance to have pity, to sigh, to breathe deeply, to, to, you know, be annoyed is, uh, 108 times. And it's the one that's associated with the form of God repenting. So what does it mean when God repents? The first time we see it, and I read it, is with the flood. It repented the Lord that he had made man. Now, does it mean that God was sorry that he had done it? I mean, it says so. We, we typically associate repentance and regret with a lack of foreknowledge, right? So if you give someone some money, think about this, parents and children. <laughs> think about the times where your child is, um, is having a hard time with their studies and you say, okay, I'm going to give you a little break. And they go and play the fool for a while and it was supposed to be a 10-minute break, but an hour later, they aren't back to their studies. And you say, you know what? I regret giving you any time. Okay? You can afford to say that because you couldn't foresee for sure that they were going to actually go and do that. You might have suspected that they were, but you got caught up in some other things. Here it is that they mishandled the mercy that you gave them, and now you regret having given it to them. Okay. And there are lots of other scenarios that we can come up with where... You do something for someone, and because of the way they behave, then you almost wish you hadn't done it. And sometimes we don't really wish we hadn't done it. We just want to convey that, right? It's not every single time that we say to ourselves, I should never have done it. I'll never do it again. Sometimes you just say, you know what? I regret doing this. And it's not that you're being frivolous, but you're indicating a level of displeasure, one of the things we have to understand when we read the Word of God is that the Word of God is written the way that it's written to communicate to us, right? God doesn't routinely speak English or whichever language that it is. You know, I'm doing this presentation in English. Most of my, I would expect my uh, audience here to be English speakers or at least be able to understand English. But the Word of God is written in all of the languages of humanity at this point, or at least a vast number of those languages. Why would God say he regretted something if, in fact, he knew how it was going to turn out because he has foreknowledge? A lot of people discount God's foreknowledge or aren't sure that he has it on account of passages like this one. And what we see from these passages is that God in his interaction with us, even though God knows things ahead of time, and sometimes he makes it very clear to us that he knows things ahead of time, but even though God knows things ahead of time, he spends a lot of time communicating with us in real time. And what do I mean by that? I've said this before in other podcasts. God treats us as though he does not generally deal with foreknowledge. He treats us as we are dealing with now. If you look through the history of the Bible, you can see that God dealt with his people in the moment. He dealt with them in the moment. When they were living in harmony with him, he treated them according to what he said he would do when they're living in harmony with him, even if he knows that tomorrow or next week they're not going to be. 
he never gets ahead of where they are. Right? So when God's people are in alignment with him, he treats them accordingly. And as they begin to fall away, he begins to deal with them. There are places in the Bible, when you look carefully, where God will use his foreknowledge to especially warn someone. As an example, if you look at the interaction that Solomon has with the Lord as he takes over the kingdom from his father, David, you'll see that Solomon comes, to, that God comes to Solomon in a dream and, and, and reminds him, if you are faithful, this is how I'm going to deal with you. But if you aren't, this is what's going to happen. And he re-emphasizes it. And you can see after the fact that God is trying to encourage him not to end up in the bad place. But God doesn't treat him negatively in advance. He warns him. Similarly, God comes to Cain and he warns him. Before Cain has killed Abel, God comes to Cain and has a conversation with him about how Cain is feeling with the intent that he will dissuade Cain from making a choice. But at the end of the day, we have choices and God will respect that. So as much as he comes and tries to influence him in a way to avoid the problem, he doesn't tie Cain's hands. Cain ultimately does what Cain is doing and then the Lord has to act on what has been done. But God does not preemptively punish people for things they have not yet done just because he knows that they're done. Okay, that they're going to do it, rather. The language that the Lord uses when speaking to us is language that helps us understand. God's thought process is way above ours. God's realizations and understanding is way above ours. In order to deal with this appropriately, he has to deal with us in a way that we can understand. Think about when you're playing peekaboo with a baby. Babies don't get the whole hiding thing for a while. I mean, into, into toddlerhood, <laughs> they don't, they don't get it, right? If they can't see you, they think they're hidden. Um, they don't get it. So when you're playing with a baby, what do you do? You cover your own eyes in the baby's face and then you, you expose your view to them again. And it's, it's amazing to them. They giggle, they laugh, they're, they're happy about it. You play down to the level that they understand because it makes sense if you're trying to get them to understand. Okay. You don't play real hide and seek with a, with an infant because they would be perplexed by that. They can't get that. Right. When they can no longer see you, that's a problem. Okay. But if they think you can't see them, then they think everything is great. Okay. So when you're playing with a child, when you're interacting with a child, you work at a level that the child can understand. Throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures, God deals with us as we will understand. He helps us understand his position by saying things like, as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord does this. He brings to mind, he uses similes and metaphors to help us get it because we wouldn't otherwise get it if we had to kind of envision how God thinks. When it says that God repented, when it repented the Lord, he regretted making man. And he says, oh, I wish I hadn't done this. He's not saying, I wish I hadn't done this like I didn't know it was going to happen. He's saying, think about how you feel when you come to the place where you have to say, I regret doing this. Okay, good. You see how you feel, how it kind of churns your, your stomach, how, how it, it gets on your um, emotions? Good. Now you have a sense of how I feel. 
And that's what, when you look through the Bible, the language that God uses is for our benefit. It is for our understanding. It is for us to comprehend what it is that, um, that he's experiencing on a level that, that is relevant for us. Wherever you see God saying it repents him that he did something, as in the case of man has become exceedingly wicked, I regret doing this. He wants you to understand that you've brought me to the place where I would undo it, except for the fact that I knew it was coming. Right? That's a communication to us. When you see there are other places where it's used that are very interesting. There are lots of other places that God uses it. And some of these are, are quite intriguing. Okay. Here are the other, remember the, the, um, definitions that were used. The having pity. That's the other side of it. In Judges 2.18, it says, And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For it repented the Lord because of the, their groanings by the reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. This isn't saying that he regrets doing it. It says he had pity on them. When the situation came up, and they actually had to go through all that pain, the Lord raised up judges because he had pity on the people. Right? In 2 Samuel 24, where the Lord has set in motion the plague because David went and numbered the people. And when the angel stretched forth his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil, had pity, and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. Stay now thy hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Arna, the Jebusite. Okay? Again, we see the Lord having pity. Most of the time when we see that it repented the Lord, it means that his pity was stirred. Right? In Genesis 6, it's less of that, although he did have pity too. Because remember, the wickedness of man is wickedness towards other men. It's not just that they were wicked independently, right? They weren't only breaking the first three commandments, as an example, or the first four, for that matter, right? Let's, but let's say the first three. It's not just that they were doing idol worship. They were doing child sacrifices. It's not just that they were doing, um, you know, blaspheming the name of God. They're also stealing and killing and hurting. So he simultaneously is distressed because of what is being done, and he has pity on the people who are victims of this. And he gave them an opportunity to make a choice because all of the people who trusted him could have been saved. And unfortunately, that was a small number that, that ultimately decided to get into the ark. But when we see in the Bible, it repented the Lord, we should understand two very important things. One, that the Lord is trying to convey to us, he's trying to get us to understand how he feels about a situation, how his emotions are stirred by a situation, and he's trying to, to, to convey it in language that helps us. And two, it is primarily pity that is evoked, not him second-guessing himself or deciding to walk back um, his decisions or deciding um, or not realizing Oh, I didn't realize this is how things were going to come out. No, 
because he has foreknowledge, he knew how it was going to turn out. Instead, it repented the Lord is an indication of how he feels in real time. How it makes him feel in real time and how he responds to it and what that means for us. Rather than being a conundrum, rather than that sentence or those phrases indicating that God did not know things in advance, it instead teaches us that God lives in the moment. Even though he's not bound by time in the way that we are, he lives with us in the moments that we live in. He comes near to us and and abides with us in those moments. And in those moments, when we've put ourselves in jeopardy and done things that are foolish and wicked, he experiences the pain of those actions in those moments and is looking to convey it to us. Genesis 6, 6 and 7 says, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing, and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. Okay. Notice also that he does not say anything about the destruction of the animals in the water. Very interesting. We'll do that in another lesson, but wanted to bring that out now. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you. We thank you that you live in the moments that we live in. We thank you that you want to draw near to us, that you want us to, to abide with you, that you asked us to make a sanctuary that you could dwell among us. We ask for your strength and your and your guidance that we will live in accordance with your will and that we won't grieve you and that we won't frustrate you and and um and cause you to have to convey that message to us that uh you almost wish you hadn't done it. We pray, Lord, that you will give us wisdom and understanding and help us to abide in your will. And as we read your word, help us to understand what you're trying to convey to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. Remember, you can find Rightly Divide the Word of Truth on Spotify, Amazon Music, Pandora, and Apple Music, or wherever you normally obtain your podcast. Please feel free to contact us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. Whether you have questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions, we look forward to hearing from you. If you're finding this channel to be a blessing, please take the time to share our page with others and always keep our ministry in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study His Word.